When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Welcome back to Buckeye Talk. This is Bill Landis of Cleveland.com. This is your Cleveland.com Ohio State podcast. Um, We talk football. We talk recruiting. We talk chain restaurants and uh, our, our gutter palate and trashy food takes. Um, but this one's going to be a basketball podcast. We haven't done one of these in a while. I, I don't even know the last time we did one. I'm sure. I'm sure we did one back around when when Chris Holtman got hired. Um, but the season's kind of in full swing now. Ohio State has played, if my math is correct, uh, eleven games. Right, eight plus three is eleven. Went to Catholic school. Don't hold it against me. Um, yeah, so they're in the swing. They're in the swing in the season now. So we figured it'd be a good time to to talk a little bit about basketball. Um, mostly answer some of your basketball questions because we've gotten some kind of interspersed throughout the season. And we try not to mix football and basketball. We got some some bad feedback on that in the past. Um, Maybe that's changed. If it has, let us know. Um, If you don't mind having football and basketball combined, you can tweet at Buckeye Talk Pod. You can tweet me at Bill Landis 25. Um, Usually on here with Doug Lee Maurice, you can tweet at him or Tim Bielek. Um, but I'm going solo again uh, for another weekend podcast. Uh, I'm sure at some point, once the football season is truly over, we're past the bowl game, um, that Doug, Tim, and I all, will all get together and talk about basketball. But it's just me today, probably a shorter podcast. Mostly just want to get to your questions. A um, couple, um, I guess, housekeeping things before I get to questions. I was hoping to do this closer to the game against UNC on December 23rd, but just with signing day and bowl stuff and travel for the holidays, I was afraid I wasn't going to be able to get it in before then. So I'm um, doing it now, which means that uh, this podcast is being recorded on Friday morning. Ohio State plays Appalachian State on Saturday night and plays the Citadel on Tuesday um, and then plays that game against North Carolina in New Orleans on the 23rd. So I guess some stuff could change <clears throat> between now and the 23rd. Um, Appalachian State is number 186 in Ken Palm. It's not the worst team Ohio State has played. Um, the Citadel is the worst team Ohio State will have played. They're ranked 314th in Ken Palm. It's a nice uh, get-right game, I guess, before you play North Carolina. Um, if they lose that, then uh, throw this entire podcast in the trash, I guess. Um, but I suspect that they'll be... 10-3 and three with wins over App State and the Citadel heading into that UNC game. Um, and if that if something happens to change that, maybe we'll squeeze in an emergency podcast. Um, I am also recording this before we talk with Chris Holtman on Friday afternoon. Um, we have football interviews or basketball interviews scheduled and then football interviews right after that. So I, I 
was afraid I wouldn't have time to get the podcast recorded in between those two. So if there's any news from Chris Holtman's press conference, particularly injury-wise, injury as it pertains to Micah Potter and, and Kyle Young and their ankle injuries, um, you can find those updates at cleveland.com slash OSU. Um, but we'll, we'll operate for this podcast under the assumption that Micah Potter is not back because I don't think he will be and that Kyle Young probably is back because Kyle Young's ankle injury is a low ankle sprain and less severe than Micah Potter's high ankle sprain. And when I asked Chris Holman about that last week, he said he expects Kyle Young to be available on Saturday against Appalachian State. So with that, uh, I guess a quick reset on the season before we get to questions. Um, I don't know. It's, it's hard for me to get a, a, a gauge, I guess, on, on how plugged in people get to Ohio State basketball while the football season's happening. I'd imagine not very much. Um, Maybe it's changed now that the football team is not in the playoff and they're just preparing for the Cotton Bowl. Um, but Ohio State is 8-3. and three. Um, Ohio State is riding a three-game winning streak. Uh, those wins include uh, an 83-58 win at Wisconsin, a 71-62 win at home against Michigan in which uh, Buckeyes came back from a 20-point first-half deficit. It was probably, so this is my third year covering Ohio State basketball. That was like the most energetic I've seen the shot. Um, I hate the shot. I, I don't know if I've ever said that on this podcast. I think it's awful, and I know I'm not alone in that opinion, and that's not a unique opinion. Um, but that place stinks. It's too big. It's cavernous. It's not loud. The student session's not big enough. I can go. I can do an hour long podcast about why the shot stinks. Um, but on that game, on that night for that game, um, especially in the second half, it seemed like a real college basketball um, arena. So maybe there's there's hope for the shot to be saved or, or something. I, I don't know. Chris Holtman. I think is trying to do some stuff with the student section and nothing's going to change this year, but I wouldn't be surprised if there are some changes made for next year. He didn't really want to talk about that, but he strongly hinted that there have been conversations about ways to make that building not feel so cavernous. Um, aside from just getting more bodies in there. So anyway, they beat Wisconsin, they beat Michigan, and then they played what I thought was a tricky William and Mary team. The William and Mary team that shoots the three pointer really well is a really efficient offensive team that was catching Ohio state off of an emotional win. It was a noon tip on a Saturday. The building was about half full, and I thought that was a potential letdown spot for Ohio State, and instead Ohio State came out and won by 35. So shows what I know. Ohio State won 97-62, shot the three better than one of the best three-point three point shooting teams in the country. Um, so that was surprising. That was, that was honestly one of the more surprising results of the season. Not that Ohio State won because they should beat William & Mary, but the margin by which they won, um, how they played that game. Um, in the past, that's that's a 100% we're coming out flat and, and making this interesting kind of game, and it wasn't that. Um, maybe the first few minutes, but Ohio State pulled away and, and won really comfortably while shorthanded. Um, I don't want to pump that one up too much because William & Mary is like not even – close to a tournament team <clears throat> not like they're they're a, they're a top 200 team but um i thought it was interesting and, and important that ohio state kind of just showed up for that game and and didn't let it get interesting and, and ran a team off the floor the way they should have um so the losses are to gonzaga out in oregon in the pk80 um to butler out in oregon at the pk80 that game they blew a i think it was a 15 point lead with like three minutes left and lost in overtime and then they came back home from that trip to Oregon um, and played Clemson in the ACC Big Ten Challenge and lost uh, 79-65 um, at home, another game in which they had a 
double-digit lead in the second half. That wasn't quite as big as it was at Butler. I think it was 10 points. Uh, but they were up double digits in the second half and ended up losing by 14. Without those two losses, I mean, I would even say without one of those losses to Butler and Clemson, I think it's possible we're looking at a ranked Ohio State team, which is just absurd, I think, to say. I don't know what people's expectations were coming into this season. Um, I certainly thought it was on the table for them to drop like a weird non-conference game, like the Florida Atlantic game last year or the UT Arlington game. It was a UT Arlington the year before, and um, I forget the other one. I guess I can look it up here. It was UT Arlington and Louisiana Tech. They lost two in the non-conference two years ago, and then they lost to Florida Atlantic in the non-conference last year. Florida Atlantic finished ranked number 271 in Ken Palm and had a final record of 10-20, and 20. and that team came into the Schottenstein Center and beat Ohio State. So weird. So anyway, I thought that was on the table for Ohio State this year. It didn't happen, or at least it hasn't happened yet. Um, and there's really only there's three more chances for that to happen. They play Appalachian State. They play the Citadel, like I said. They play UNC, and then they wrap up non-conference against Miami, Ohio on December 30th. And then it's in the Big Ten. And then once you get in the Big Ten, I think all bets are off. Um, I don't think the league is particularly strong this year, but I think there are a lot of even teams. Everyone's in the top 100 with the exception of Rutgers, and Rutgers is 101. Um, so I think it's a little deeper, maybe not as top-heavy. Um, but there are a lot of evenly matched teams. So if Ohio State lost to anybody in the Big Ten, I wouldn't be surprised by that. Even even Rutgers, even Nebraska. But they're three three non conference wins away from not you know I don't know how to say that correctly, but not not crapping the bed um, against a bad non conference team like they've done in the past. Um, the wins have been pretty sound. Smoked Robert Morris. Um, was beating Radford pretty soundly and let that get back to 10 points at the end of the game, beat Texas Southern comfortably, destroyed Northeastern, um, destroyed William & Mary. So um, the only game where they got truly outplayed from start to finish was the loss to Gonzaga, and Gonzaga is number 10 right now in Ken Palm. Uh, Gonzaga is 8-2, and two, um, has some pretty nice wins against uh, Texas and Creighton, lost to Florida and, and Villanova, who's number 1 in Ken Palm. Um, by the way, Ken Palm, I don't know, I'm sure some people listening are familiar with Ken Palm. Ken Pomeroy um, has like a advanced analytics system that I that he uses to rank college basketball teams. I think it's way better measure of, of who's good than the AP poll, way better measure of who's good than, than RPI. Um, KenPalm.com is where you can find those. And Ohio State right now is number 48. Um, that, that this program is top 50 in the country right now, I, I think is kind of major. Um, certainly on the table for them to be closer to, to 100. They started the season at 78, and that ranking just keeps coming down. Um, I don't think Wisconsin is going to be a great team and is dealing with some injury issues, but that was a good win for Ohio State, especially winning like that at Wisconsin. It was Wisconsin's worst loss ever at Cole Center in Madison. And then Michigan, I think, is a tournament team. And Ohio State, I mean, they went no hole 20 points in the first half, but the, the final, you know, 26-ish minutes of that game, um, Ohio State was really good and, and looked much better than Michigan and really blitzed a, a Michigan team, caught them off guard. And Michigan since has gone on to beat UCLA and Texas. So this is not a bad Michigan team. I think some people want to like discredit that win a little bit. Um, I think Michigan, when it's clicking, is really good. And obviously they weren't clicking on that night, or at least not in the second half of that night. Um, but I would not I would not discredit that win. I thought that was a really good win for Ohio State and one 
and we'll get to this as soon as I get to the questions. Um, if we're talking about a tournament team down the road, you, that win's going to be important. I mean, any win in the Big Ten is, but that but Michigan at the moment just taking a quick uh, look through the the Ken Palm rankings in terms of who Ohio State has to play yet. Um, of course, I clicked on the wrong thing. So Michigan is ranked number thirty six in Ken Palm, and Ohio State will play one, two, three, three games against teams ranked higher than that, and they have another game against Michigan the rest of the year. So like that, that is a major win for this team considering the schedule it has and a potential factor on the resume if we get to that point um, come come selection selection time for the NCAA tournament. Okay, so that's like a, a quick and dirty rehash of the season. I hope I didn't glance over much. There, there aren't a lot of player-specific questions, so I'll say this. Um, Kata Bates-Diop is having a really good season so far, and I think there are a lot of people both within the program and outside of the program who looked at last year and thought, well, if Kata Bates-Diop didn't get hurt, this would have been an NCAA tournament team last year. And they never really were on the bubble last season. They're just their record wasn't good enough. The quality of wins in total weren't there. They were seventeen and fifteen overall. Um, one of those losses in the Big Ten tournament. So they were seventeen and fourteen. Um and just had like they beat Wisconsin, they beat Michigan, um, beat Michigan State, but at home and then I think went there and, and yeah, and lost by eight. Um so it just wasn't there. They had bad non conference losses. They they lacked a lot of top hundred wins. Um and they were down the best player. Bates Diop um, had a stress fracture last summer, had surgery to, or sorry, had a stress fracture last summer, kind of tried to play through it, played a handful of games, and then he, and then also injured his ankle on his other leg, and then they just shut him down. And that got him a redshirt season, should he choose to use it next year. Um, we'll get to that in a minute. But um, Bates Diop so far this year is averaging 18.3 points per game. He's averaging 9.5 rebounds per game. He's shooting 52% from the field, 44% from three. Um, I think he's been a little up and down on defense. Um, he's admitted that Chris Holtman um, actually took him out of the game at the first media timeout against William & Mary for the first time all year because his defense was a little little lackluster. He was kind of jogging down the floor. Um but he's been, I mean, if Ohio State wants to be successful, Bates Diop has to be the best player. And he's uh, eclipsed 20 points, let me see, one, two, three times, had a career-high 27 against William & Mary and sat the last seven minutes of that game. He could have, I, frankly, I think, flirted with 40 maybe if he was playing kind of his full allotment. He played 26 minutes. He's usually up, up around 35, 36, 37. Um, he could have flirted with 40 in that game. And it's just, it's just to say that we didn't, I didn't get asked about him specifically as, to, oh, I guess I did. But I just wanted to point out that, that Katie Bates Diop was playing really well. Um, CJ Jackson at point guard is in a new role and, and turning the ball over too much for a starting point guard in the Big Ten, but has his offensive game at another level from where it was last year. He kind of looks like the scorer we thought he would be when he came from junior college. He shot like 50% from three-point range in junior college and took a bunch of threes, and then he came here last year and looked like he had never shot a basketball before. Um, and his his mechanics are a little wonky, kind of unorthodox, but he's, he's getting the job done so far this year. He's the team's second-leading scorer, um, 
which I don't think anyone would have would have assumed coming into this season, especially with Jay Sean Tate still around. Um, but C.J. Jackson's averaging 13.5, uh, four assists, shooting 41% from the floor, 42% from three. Um, and like I said, the, the turnover number is too high. But but other than the turnover number, um, C.J. Jackson, I think, has been, been a little bit of a revelation this year. We'll see when they get into the Big Ten play and there's more consistent physical point guard play. Um, but I think overall you should be – pretty happy with where cj jackson is um considering the role he's in he's not a true point guard and he was just kind of thrust into that role unexpectedly he's i asked him last week he said no i didn't i didn't at least expect it to happen like this maybe he thought a year or two down the road after his first year that he'd be more of a focal point of the offense but i never i don't think he ever envisioned himself being the primary ball handler for ohio state and that's what he is he's logging you know 30 point guard minutes a game. Andrew Dockett just playing some. Um, and Jay Sean Tate, as of late, was, has been playing a little point guard. But the ideal situation for Ohio State is that C.J. Jackson kind of rounds into form and becomes a reliable point guard. I think that's going to take all year. I, I don't expect that to happen by the end of the season. I think he can consistently get better. I think Chris Holtman is a pretty good point guard coach. And they're going to butt heads a little bit, I think. They have so already. Holtman benched C.J. Jackson. Before the Wisconsin game, and CJ responded really well. There's a trash truck driving by my window. Um, and then he started against William and Mary and, and played well that game. So since getting benched before the Wisconsin game, CJ Jackson has strung together three really good games. And I think that's promising. So anyway, that's a, those are two players I wanted to point out. Um, and now we will get to your questions. Um, as always, you can send the questions to me on Twitter at BillLandis25. You can email them to me if you have a longer one and 280 characters isn't enough. My email address is BLandis at Cleveland.com. Um, and I'll say we, we don't always get to every question. So there are people who send in questions for this that I either one didn't acknowledge because they were repeats of something somebody else asked and I just saw their question first or two, um, I just didn't get them. And, and like, we apologize for that. We try to get to everything, but we do two hour football podcasts and we don't get to every question. And this is going to be more along the lines of a 30 minute ish, only be a little longer than that, um, basketball podcast. And I'm just not going to get to every question. So I apologize in advance if we don't get it. It's nothing personal against you. Um, it just kind of happens. First question from a uh, visual ambassador. He said, how much has the team exceeded expectations on a numeric scale from one, which is exactly as expected to 10, which is exceedingly, and we'll probably go to the final four. Um, not, certainly not a 10 then if 10 means going to the final four, um, Dan Dockich, the ESPN analyst, um, who I, I think Ohio state fans used to hate, but now they like him because he's pro Ohio state because his son's on the team. Um, predicted before the year that Ohio State would go to the Final Four, and that was just based off his son telling him that, you know what, this team's a little better than I think people are giving it credit for. And I think now, in hindsight, that's probably true. Doesn't mean Ohio State's a Final Four team. But they are certainly um, entertaining and have had a good year to this point. Um, so it's not a 1, and it's not a 10. It's better than a 5. I'll say they've... I'll, I'll give it like a solid like 7... Like a seven point three, creeping up to eight. I, I, I honestly, I thought with like the point guard situation, um, sort of the fragility of the roster that if anyone got hurt, it could really change things. Um, the fact that I thought there were some guys left over on this team who maybe weren't going to work at the level that was expected of them by Chris Holtman, that this could be a 
rocky season, and and that's certainly still on the table. They've only played eleven games, um, and there are thirty one. So there's a lot of basketball left, but that they haven't had some kind of major major letdown at this point, other than blowing solid leads to good teams and Butler and Clemson. Um, this season has so far has exceeded my expectations to the point where I'm at like a seven and um, kind of optimistic, more optimistic than I was coming into the year. I think at the, at the beginning of the year, I said they would have 18 wins, which is about what they had last year. Um, and I thought maybe you'd see a surprising, I included in, in that projection of as 18 wins. So I guess that's 18 yeah, let me see. Last year they were yeah seventeen and fourteen, so I think I had eighteen and thirteen. Um, I thought you'd see a crazy win, like a win over like a Michigan State that you were just like, where the hell did that come from? But then like a potential loss to a team like William and Mary, just very up and down, very inconsistent. And even you know after the Butler and Clemson games, I thought we were trending in that direction just because they had looked so good for portions of both those games against really good competition, and then just completely folded in the second half of both those games. Then I thought, well, this this is more along the lines of what I expected. Um, and then they came out and beat Wisconsin so soundly on the road and beat and beat Michigan. So maybe my my read was a little. Um, premature after the after the Clemson game um but I do think this team has exceeded expectations I, I'll give it a seven um to visual ambassador's question on a scale of one to ten um yeah they've been they've been um a pleasant surprise I think so far this year but I still think that the fact remains true of of you know one an injury to Kate Bates Diop or an injury to CJ Jackson or an injury to Jay Sean Tate changes the season. I just, I don't know how you get past any one of those. Um, Micah Potter has left them shorthanded because he's an important part of the, of the rotation. They were without Kyle Young for one game, but they've managed to navigate through that kind of stuff. Um, I don't think they could navigate through a Bates, Diop, Tate, or CJ Jackson injury. Um, but so far that hasn't been a problem. And they have exceeded expectations, I think, to this point. Even getting some national buzz. Um, some of the national writers are, one, I think, like Chris Holtman, um, just as a guy and as a coach, and um, he's pretty accessible, which I think always factors into um, who the national guys like. Um, and that's not like I, I like that Chris Holtman is accessible too. That wasn't meant as a dig, but um, yeah, the, the Buckeyes are getting some national buzz, and it'll be interesting if they go into that UNC game at ten and three. I'd imagine you're going to see some stories about like here comes Ohio State. This is a big moment for them, and. I think that'll be true. I think that'll be true at North Carolina on a neutral court. Um, I, I'm not going to pick them to win because it's North Carolina. They're the defending national champs, but that could be an interesting game. They beat Kentucky two years ago in the CBS sports classic sports classic. And no one saw that coming. Um, this UNC team is probably better than that Kentucky team, but this Ohio state team is also probably better than that Ohio state team. So, um, not off the table, not off the table for something crazy to happen in that game. And then, uh, yeah, then you'll have, a number next to Ohio State's name, I think, uh, heading into Big Ten play. Aaron Buckley says, uh, even though this team might be less talented, do you feel like they play better as a team than the past few years? It just looks like they play better as a unit and they play with more effort. Um, you think so? And then he, he had it on the end, what do you think of their chances to make the tournament? I got like a variation of that question um, from a few people. So I'll come back to the tournament stuff, I think, at the end. Um, and I've touched on it some already, but I'll come back to that at the end because a lot of people ask about it. Um, but his first point about the team being less talented, 
which I actually disagree with, uh, at least compared to last year. Um, maybe, maybe the last two years. Um, just think, like, they lost that entire 2015 recruiting class. Um, and just to, like, run through, Austin Grandstaff is not playing at the Paul. He is a non-factor there. He's not even a rotation player. Mickey Mitchell has just become eligible at Arizona State, so I guess the jury's still out on him. Daniel Giddens has been just fine at Alabama, and A.J. Harris is having kind of a nice year at New Mexico State. Um, Jaquan Lyle is at New Mexico, but not eligible to play this year. So, like, you lost bodies. I'm not so sure this team is less talented than it was last year. I am, I am curious about what Chris Holtman might have been able to get out of Jaquan Lyle because I always thought Lyle was a very special talent, um, who just kind of needed the right kick in the pants to, to get going. And Thad Mata, I think, you know, tried every which way he could to, to get Jaquan to be more consistent and you saw it. He had a triple double two years ago. You saw it some nights that Lyle could certainly be the best player on the floor. Um, I think he lacked a lot of mental focus and maybe wasn't always in the best condition. Um, but I think all, all season as I, as I look at the Ohio State point guard situation and just how shorthanded it is, I think I'm going to think about what Chris Holtman might have been able to get out of Jaquan Lyle this year. But outside of him, I don't, I disagree that this team is less talented. I think, uh, losing Trevor Thompson and losing Mark Loving in a lot of ways is addition by subtraction. And they're both good. Like Trevor Thompson, I think is, is a good player and, I think he's kicking around the D league a little bit. Played in the summer league with the Celtics. Um, he can block shots. Um, he can score in the post. He makes a lot of turnovers, but I think he has a presence defensively that, that matters. Um, and Mark Loving, when he's shooting the three well, is, is a usable player, but I mean, we don't have to go back down that road. We, we know what Mark Loving bought from an effort and intensity and focus standpoint, and it was nothing. So um, I think losing those guys is addition by subtraction. So I don't think this team is, is less talented or at least – and you said might, um, Aaron, in your question, so it wasn't like you definitively said it's less talented. But I, I don't actually think it is less talented. Um, but I, I do agree with the idea that they play together better. They seem more in sync. Um, the effort is certainly there. Um, and I think what's happened is you've had Jay Sean Tate now for four years, and, and I've never questioned Jay Sean Tate's work ethic and, and want to, and I hope that no one else ever has. He has his limitations as a 6'4 post player, and, and I know a lot of people wish he would shoot the three or stop shooting the three and shoot his free throws better. Um, but that kid wants to win and, and I think leaves it all out there every time he plays. The problem is that he could never get anyone to jump on his back and play the same way or at least consistently do that. And that seems to be happening happening a little more now than I think it has had in, in previous years of his career. Um, Musa Jallo, the freshman guard, I think is kind of a similar guy who's brought a little bit of that. Um, Caleb Wesson has a little bit of an attitude to him, I think, and, and that will only become more amplified, I think, as he gets more comfortable. Bates Diop kind of ebbs and flows a little bit. Jackson kind of ebbs and flows a little bit. I think Dockage plays really hard. He's just, I mean, he's a former walk-on. He's, he's going to have his limitations, but I think he plays hard and 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 mostly plays smart. Um, so I just think, yeah, you have guys who appear to have brought, bought in a little more, who I think have been given the message that if you don't play hard, you're not going to play no matter how short the roster is. And I think that is a change from uh, the Mata regime. Uh, Thad, I think, stuck with his guys kind of no matter what. Um, Loving, a prime example. There were plenty of opportunities to, to limit Mark Loving's minutes, and, and Thad never really did it. 
Um, I don't think if, if Loving played the way he had played over the last two years of his career that he'd be playing very much for Chris Holtman. And maybe that's being presumptuous, and I'm giving Holtman too much credit, but that's just the vibe I've gotten so far um, from the way he's coached these games. He's not afraid to mix things up. He's not afraid to sick guys, Bates Diop included. Um, so, yeah, I think they play hard and play play more together with more effort, um, like Aaron said. <clears throat> Let's see. Dave Fitzgerald said, uh, now that we have some data points, including a swingy come-from-ahead loss or swingy come-from-ahead losses and comeback wins, what's the realistic ceiling for this team? Uh, I think it's a really good question, and and, and the my lame answer is kind of that it remains to be seen. Um, it's interesting, I think when this – so if you look at the Ken Palm page, and I think you have to pay to see this page, but it gives you the projected win-loss record. And I believe when the season opened, Ohio State was projected to win 17 games. might have been, even been 16 games. Um, which is just a very average first year for Chris Holtman, a building block year. And with the way they've played so far, that has now swung up to a 20 and 11 overall record and an 11 and seven record in the league. Now, part of that is that the big 10 is not as strong as people thought it was going to be, at least not at this point. So that plays into it. Um, but it's also that Ohio state is, is much better, is much better. I think that people thought they would be, it's a, Number 56 in offensive efficiency, number 44 in defensive efficiency. And Chris Holtman said last week if they can be top 50 in both of those, they have a shot to be pretty decent. And I certainly agree with they haven't. They haven't been ranked that highly. Like They haven't had the offense and the defense kind of that balanced in a long time. They were 60th in offense and 99th in defense last year. The year before that, they were 138th in offense. <coughs> excuse me. And 43rd in defense. The year before that, they were 22nd in offense and 25th in defense. That was the D'Angelo Russell year. So it's been that was the last time they've had this kind of balance in terms of being a, a not not really great at either, but pretty fairly consistent on both offense and defense. Um, and the only thing that they really struggle with is turnovers. Um, everything else, they're they're top hundred in the country or, or close to it. I mean, the things that matter anyway. Um, they're 202nd in the country in turnover percentage, which is way too high, and that's eventually going to catch up to you. And Chris Holtman hammers that home every time we talk to him. That number has to come down. Um, but everything else is pretty good. Everything else is pretty good. And, and uh, I'm going to mention Ken Palm a lot, I think, as I cover this team because it's something that Holtman clearly cares about. Um, so with Ken Palm as your guide, I guess, this Ohio State team has um, some pretty strong data points, like Dave said. Um, which suggests to me that the ceiling for this team is a team that that could definitely finish in the top half of the Big Ten. They were picked to finish 11th at, se- at the beginning of the season. Um, I'm not saying that won't happen because the Big Ten season can get weird, but if we're talking ceiling, I think you know, 20, 21, 22 wins total and, and double-digit Big Ten wins is not off the table for this team from what we've seen so far. Um, health is, is the primary factor there, but as long as they're healthy, I think they can get there. Um, so that's a, I mean, a, a 20, 20 ish win team with double digit wins in, in the big 10 is, I, I think pretty safely an NCAA tournament team. Um, especially if you, as, as long as they get through this non-conference without losing to app state, the Citadel or Miami, they're not going to have a bad loss on their, on their resume. Um, they play Rutgers, like I said. That's the only team they play the rest of the year ranked outside of the top 100. They play them twice. I, I mean, I guess they could lose both. But the the landmines out there that have brought this team down a little bit in the past are are about to be passed. Um, 
if they can get really if, if really just get past Appalachian State. I, I just can't. I mean, whatever. Yell at me if they lose the Citadel or Miami, Ohio. But it's it's Appalachian State. Get through that, and and I think you're you've positioned yourself to play solid basketball in the Big Ten and then get to the tournament. I think when. No one expected you to get there. Most people didn't expect Ohio State to be an NIT team, and now people are talking. Like I'm not the only one talking about them in the NCAA tournament. And Andy Katz had a story this week where he projected the at-large teams, and Ohio State was one of them. Um, there are 36 at-large teams, I think, and, and Ohio State or 38 maybe, and Ohio State was 35th, so they were at the bottom of the list, but they were on the list. So um, at this point, that's that's frankly a little shocking to me. So I think the ceiling is a team that, that competes for the not the Big Ten title because that's Michigan State, that's Michigan State, and like Purdue and Ohio State's just not as good as those teams. Um, but top half of the league, um, I don't know. I don't think they finished better than sixth, I think, in, in the last few years. Um, so top half of the league and. Um, yeah, they're, they're, the opportunity to make the NCAA tournament is there. When I thought it was possible, it wouldn't be there at this point. Um, Jim Armpriester says, how does Holtman's coaching style compare to Thad's? How much credit do we give Holtman for this start with Thad's guys? I think that's a really, really interesting question, the second one in particular. I think Holtman's coaching style and Thad's coaching style are very similar. And if um, Thad Mata had been healthier, I just think he would have been able to get more out of his team. Um, I think it was hard for Thad to be super hands-on um, in practice because he had a hard time standing sometimes. Um, and Chris Holtman is obviously a little younger coach. He's a little more spry, and he just doesn't deal with the physical uh, – maybe disabilities is too strong of a word, but but Thad Mata was limited by his back problems, and Chris Holtman's not. Um, but aside from that, I think I think they preached the same things. They were both at Butler and were both heavily influenced by their, times at but- by their time at Butler. Um, their systems probably differ a little bit. Um, at least offensively, but I don't think there's a whole lot of change there. Um, I think they're very similar coaches, which I guess in the end is not surprising to me that Holtman would be doing a good job coaching this team when when him and Thad, I think, value the same things from a recruiting standpoint too. Um, Holtman was left a little shorthanded because of the turnover with that 2015 recruiting class and, and the lack of point guards on the roster. But, like, Holtman would have, I think, recruited a Kata Bates the up, and he would have recruited a Jay Sean Tate, and I think tried to recruit Caleb Wesson a little bit, and did recruit Andre Wesson, and probably would have recruited Micah Potter. I, I, if Chris Holtman was, a, was the head coach of this team three years ago, I don't know how much different this roster would look. Or at least, like, I think there, everyone on this roster, I think, would still be on the roster, maybe with the exception of Cam Williams. Um, so I think they're very similar coaches, which is why Gene Smith hired Holtman. I think he saw Thad in Holtman. And kind of like traded out the old model for like a, a newer model, but with like the same kind of base principles. Um, so I, I, I guess it is important to keep in mind that like Holtman is doing this largely with Thad Mata players. Um, Jallo is a Holtman guy, and um, Kyle Young is a Holtman guy, and those are going to be both important players. But like Caleb Wesson is a freshman, but he was a Thad Mata recruit. Bates Diop was a Thad Mata recruit. Like I, you don't, I don't have to run down the line. You know these are Thad's players. So I think that's just important to keep in mind that while I did not disagree that it was probably time for a change in leadership with the program, albeit the timing was weird, but I think I think it was warranted. Um, whatever success this team might have this year will happen because of the players that Thad Mata brought in. Now, he certainly missed. He missed on a lot of guys. Um, especially the, over the last two years, and that's crippled the roster a little bit. But the best players on this roster 
are players that Thad brought in, and I just think it's important to remember that. Um, it happens a lot in, in in coaching changes. Jim Harbaugh had a pretty decent first two years at Michigan with Brady Hoke players. Um, Urban Meyer won 12-0 at Ohio State in his first year with mostly Jim Trussell players and then won a national championship in 2014 with a strong senior class that were Jim Trussell players. That happens. Um, and it doesn't mean that these guys who are Thad guys are going to go out and then the program is going to stink because then it's going to be all Holtman guys. I just think it's it's an important like nod or whatever to Thad that this team is exceeding expectations a little bit and it's doing it largely on the backs backs of players that were brought in here by Thad Mata, which is to say that while Thad had his struggles over the last two years, it wasn't all awful. He did bring in some good players. Tyler Richards, Richardson had a tournament question that I'll come back to. Um, Kevin at Zippy Fish on Twitter said, do you think Holman will bring in another point guard next year, be it a 2018 kid or a grad transfer? I do. Um, I don't know if it's going to be a 2018 player. They are um, recruiting Courtney Ramey, who is a, uh, I figured he's a four or five star. A very high four-star guard from St. Louis who was committed to Louisville and then decommitted, obviously, when all the stuff went down there with Rick Pitino. So he's on the market. Ohio State has pursued him. Um, I just don't know if Ohio State can get him. Um, Mizzou is the favorite right now in the crystal ball. Oklahoma State, Texas, UCLA, Villanova are all recruiting him as well. Um, so he's like the biggest name of the guards they, they'd like to chase and add to their four-man 2018 recruiting class. They do have one more scholarship spot left at the moment. It could be more than that. Um, I can't envision Chris Holman ever taking more than five players in a class, and I think, frankly, taking five makes him uncomfortable because he wants to have balance on the roster. But that being said, if there's an opportunity to add a true good point guard, he's going to do it. Um, because Jay Sean Tate's leaving, and right now Jay Sean Tate is like your number two point guard. And Andrew Dockage will be gone next year too. So the only point guard slated to be on the true point, and he's not even a true point guard, CJ Jackson. Um, the guys they have in this recruiting class, the guards Dwayne Washington and Luther Muhammad are kind of combo guards. And uh, maybe Washington's a little more of a point guard, but I don't think you want to have to rely on a true freshman next year uh, playing significant point guard minutes unless it's a guy like Ramey who is like a potential one-and-done kind of guy. So, I would keep an eye on him. I wouldn't be super confident that Ohio State lands him. Um, beyond that, in terms of true point guards they're recruiting, um, there aren't – I can't really think of any off the top of my head. Let me look through their thing real quick while I'm talking about it. Um, true point guards they offer who have not committed. Um, Javon Quinterly from New Jersey, I don't think they get him. And then it's Ramey, and then that's kind of it. So I think if they add a point guard to the roster, it will be via grad transfer. And I know ideally you wouldn't want to do that, but it's just kind of the situation they're in. They have to – If there's, I don't think he'll force it. I don't think Holtman will force it, but I think he envisions there being an opportunity for a grad transfer guard to come in next year for Ohio State and contribute. So I think that is probably the route they will go unless they can kind of swing things with Courtney Ramey and get him in here. But I do think that they have the four-man recruiting class now. It's Luther Muhammad, Dwayne Washington, uh, Kyle Arns, and uh, Jaden Lede. And that's two combo guards. Um, 
kind of a uh, shooting guard wing in in our Aaron's Aaron's not Aaron's Aaron's and uh, Lede is like a three four potential five um, in in Holtman's system. So yeah, they need a point guard. Uh, Robbie Strock asks, "Is Coach Holtman's offensive defense in place yet?" I wasn't sure if he can implement his style without having his players. Uh, to be completely honest, I don't know the intricacies of Holtman's system and what's in and what's not in. Um, defensively, I think probably most of it is in because he just wants to play a lot of man. He just wants to play a lot of man-to-man defense. Um, and they switched them things up. They had problems against Michigan um, on, on ball screens. Their ball screen defense was not very good, um, really up to that game. And then they started doing some stuff, switching on every screen, and then that really threw a wrench into things and and, and slowed down Michigan. Um, so maybe ideally he'd like to not switch so much, but maybe he has to with this team because there's not a kind of primary lockdown defender. Bates the up is good in stretches. Tate is good in stretches. Jackson's kind of okay. Jallo is good in stretches, but he's young. Um so defensively, they're probably mostly there, but not quite there. And then offensively, um, he just doesn't have he doesn't have a point guard. So I think that I, I don't know what percentage of his offense is in and what percentage he can ultimately run with the personnel that he has, but I just can't imagine that it's all there. Um, so no, I don't think it's all in place yet, Robbie. Um, another question from Visual Ambassador: What percent chances Katie Bates Diab have of being drafted to the NBA? Like in general, pretty high. After this year, uh, I still think pretty good. Um, he was always on the. Draft Express, now defunct at Draft Express, rest in peace. Um, Jonathan Gavoni, who ran that site, now works for ESPN, I think. Um, so Draft Express no longer, well, I think it exists, but it doesn't get updated anymore. But um, Cato was always like a second round projected draft pick, just like based on his rankings out of high school, I think his size and his skill set. Um, but now he's like putting it all all on display, and I don't think he's going to be a lottery pick. But um, yeah, I think he has a very high chance of getting drafted. Um, even maybe after like the, <laughs> it's weird. It's like Kade Bates Diop had to be really good, I think, for Ohio State to exceed expectations this year. But now it's possible that he's too good and going to play himself off the roster next year. Um, and that's fine. Like that's just that's the kind of the nature of college basketball. I think to some extent, Chris Holtman and his staff were preparing themselves for that. I think they knew Kade had that ceiling. Um, at least from an offensive standpoint, I, th- I do think his motor and his defense are are up and down, and, and the NBA will notice that. But he makes really tough shots. He, he's a multiple level scorer, um, is super long, good rebounder, um, is shooting the three um, the best he shot it in his career this year, and just been really aggressive, much more aggressive than he's ever been um, at any point in his career here at Ohio State. So. I think a very good chance of getting drafted. I, I can't say where in the draft just yet, but um, percent chance that Kata gets drafted, I think, is like close to 80. Maybe that's too high, um, but he's playing really well. He, he looks like an NBA player, I think, a lot of nights when he's out there. And his teammates have said that about him all along. He just finally, with some health, have the opp- with some health has the opportunity um, to, to show that off. Uh, another one from Dave Fitzgerald. He said, uh, if Teddy the ref offers you a high five, you have to do it, right? That's uh, referencing... The Michigan game, I think, Teddy Valentine was a referee that game, and a ball went out of bounds, and he pointed in the direction of Michigan, Andrew Dockage pointed in the direction of Ohio State, and then they like stared at each other and locked eyes, and then they high-fived each other, and it was super weird. Um, we all know Teddy Valentine, and he likes to be the center of attention. He's actually, I think, still a pretty good ref. He's just very kind of demonstrative when he does it. Um, 
But yeah, I think if you're on the floor and you're playing and, and, and Teddy offers you a TV, Teddy offers you a high five, you take it. So, okay, let's wrap up on all of your tournament questions and we'll keep this under 50 minutes, I think. So Aaron Buckley said, what do you think of their chances to make the NCAA tournament? Um, Dave Fitzgerald said, is the second weekend of the NCAA even possible? Um, Tyler Richardson said, uh, is a trip to the tournament and a win in the round of 64 too high of expectations? Um, I think that's it. Yeah. There's a lot of general, will this team make the tournament questions? Like, can I get my hopes up kind of questions? And I would caution that still. I, I certainly think this team has exceeded expectations again, just to like hammer that home. There is a lot of basketball left and a big 10 schedule that I think actually sets up kind of nicely for Ohio state. Um, just to run through it real quick, like Ohio State's Big Ten road games are at Iowa, at Rutgers, at Northwestern, which is not at Northwestern's actual gym because that's being renovated, um, Minnesota at Madison Square Garden, at Purdue, um, at Penn State, at Michigan, and at Indiana. So they don't have to go play in East Lansing, which is nice. Um, they don't have to go play up at Minnesota, which is nice. Um, so it, it sets up okay for them in, in terms of, of travel and getting the best teams at, at least on your home floor once. I think of, yeah, so they don't get Minnesota at home, but that's a neutral site game, and they play Purdue once, and that's on the road. And other than that, they'll get all the, I think, the, the top tier of Big Ten teams on their home floor. Northwestern's on the road, too. So it's certainly not impossible that Ohio State makes the NCAA tournament. I'm not at the point where I have, like I think they're in or they're like on that path. Just because uh, the the Butler and Clemson games are still in the, in the back of my mind a little bit, and and I know this team is kind of prone to letdowns. Now it's maybe that Wisconsin game was a colossal turning point, and we just don't know it yet. Um, the basketball team that I saw against Wisconsin and in the second half against Michigan is certainly an NCAA tournament team. Certainly a team that's capable of getting there and winning a round of sixty four game and and playing at least through the first weekend um, or playing two games in the first weekend. Um, I'm just going to caution that now. I, I, I think it's too early to really talk about that at all just because we haven't seen we've, – we've seen them – they played one top, 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 top of the line team in Gonzaga and got smoked. And they're going to play another one against Carolina. Now, you can lose to those teams and, and still make the tournament. That happens all the time. But they've played even, – even teams in the tournament conversation, they've played Gonzaga and lost handily. Um, blue leads to Butler and Clemson. Wisconsin's not a tournament team this year, I don't think. And then they beat Michigan. So they're one in three against teams that I think are tournament teams this year. Um, and they're going to play a couple more moving forward. So they've been good. They've exceeded my expectations to this point. I think they've exceeded a lot of expectations. They're exciting to watch. Bates Diop is, um, a really good player. Um, I think they're going to be fun to watch for the remainder of the year. I think they're going to be frustrating at times. At this point, and they're a team that is capable of making the NCAA tournament, but I'm not going to sit here on December 15th and tell you this team's going dancing because I just, I just can't. I don't think anybody can tell you that. Um, talk to me after the Carolina game, and we'll see. Um, but at the moment, I will say that it, the, the ceiling is making the tournament, I think, no doubt. I think that much has been proven. Um, but I don't know if this team can get to its ceiling. Not yet, anyway.
Um, so that's what I'll say to maybe, maybe just pump the brakes a little bit, just a little bit. Let's see another game or two. By by the end of the first week of January, they will have played Carolina and Michigan State. And then I think we can kind of regroup and see where they're at. And they don't think they have to win those games, but they can't look like a high school team in those games either. So um, let's like let's regroup then. And that'll be when we get back from the bowl game. And that'll honestly probably be the next time we do a basketball podcast because, um, like I said, we're probably football and recruiting. And then Doug and I leave uh, for Dallas on Christmas, and we'll be there doing all football stuff. Um, we'll get back um, that f- on December 30th. I won't be at the Miami of Ohio game. I think Tim's going to cover that one. And then uh, and then I'll be kind of full swing in the basketball. And then we'll regroup, I think, with another podcast after that Michigan State game. And uh, and then we'll, we'll see where this team's really at. So uh, that'll wrap this one up. I appreciate your questions. Um, I hope that that gave a kind of a good glimpse of, of where this team is. Um, feel free to interact with me on Twitter. Um, if, I, if I'm not going to do another podcast um, for close to a month on basketball, I still might do like a mailbag every now and then if you guys have a lot of, of good basketball questions. Um, we will still have basketball coverage um, and obviously football coverage and football recruiting coverage. National signing or the early signing day for football is next Wednesday, December 20th. It's going to be, I think, kind of a uh, a hectic day for Ohio State. Next week is going to be a hectic week for Ohio State in terms of recruiting. We'll have all that at cleveland.com slash OSU. Um, one more Twitter plug. You can follow me at Bill Landis 25. You can follow Doug LaMaurice at Doug LaMaurice. Um, you can follow Tim Bielek at Tim Bielek. We are your Ohio State coverage team for cleveland.com. Those guys aren't with me today. They will be with me next week. We'll have our Cotton Bowl preview um, dropping next Wednesday. Um, something next weekend. I'm not sure yet. Maybe like a quick recap of what went down with signing day. Um, and then once we get to Dallas, I think the plan is for Doug and I to do a uh, shorter daily podcast from Dallas leading up to the Cotton Bowl on December 29th. So we appreciate you listening. Um, subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Google Play. Um, if you haven't already, we'd appreciate a rating and a review on iTunes. Um, five stars only and uh yeah that'll wrap this one up so thank you for listening as always uh we we really appreciate the support and and how much this podcast has grown um over the last year it's been it's been really encouraging to see so um oh one more thing it's gonna go more than 50 minutes we're doing a bowl pick'em contest if you are listening to this before bowl games begin on Saturday afternoon, go to cleveland.com slash OSU, make your bowl picks, um, just straight winners, no spreads or anything like that. And if you win, you get to co-host Buckeye Talk, and you steer the ship, baby. You you pick what we talk about, the football topics, the food topics, the life topics, whatever. You are going to co-host with us a large chunk of Buckeye Talk. So go to cleveland.com slash OSU and... Fill out your bowl, pick them. We just there's a there's a whole form there for name, email address, and all that stuff. And then um, the winner gets to be uh, a co-host for one of the podcasts with uh, me, Doug, and Tim. And isn't that everyone's dream to co-host Buckeye Talk and make our lives a little easier because it's less work for us? So do that. Um, keep listening. Subscribe, like I said. Rate if you can. Um, thanks for the basketball questions. We'll talk to you next week. I'm Bill, and that was Buckeye Talk. <laughs>